welcome to Chapter One Podcast. Uh, this is your lovely host, Rachel, and your other lovely host? Claire, hello. Awesome, and we're here today to discuss a book of Claire's choosing, um, An Ember in the Ashes, but we'll get back to that shortly. First, we want to do a fun little check-in, find out what sort of media or fun things we've been enjoying this week. So, Claire, what, what's been on, what's been great for you this week? Well, I have to say Rachel's Supergirl was pretty awesome this past week. Yes! Yes, it was! Oh my god, Supergirl was amazing this week. I'm so happy. It was so good. Oh, so good. Yeah. I'm so happy it's back from that stupidly long hiatus. Three I weeks. Who, who takes off the show for three weeks? There was nothing else on TV. I don't know. Very upset, very, but it's back, you know, that's all that matters. That pretty intense this week was Arrow. But... Yeah, I'm not caught up with, I ju- I'm slowly finishing season four of Arrow, so I haven't quite caught up with season four of Arrow yet. Okay. Um, but I will be caught up eventually just... on Arrow. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? You, I actually missed you there. I just said, you'll get caught up eventually, but it was really yeah. intense this week. Yeah, no, I believe it. Because, like, this end of the season has been really intense. But, no, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Subaru was amazing this week, and I have so many feelings about it. Um, but, yeah, so I guess for me, something I enjoyed this week, uh, a lot of the podcasts I listened to, like, had new episodes this week. So that made me really happy because a lot of them are on biweekly updates. Uh, so two of them in particular was uh, Spirits Podcast, and they talked about, like, Egyptian resurrection which I know, like, you would be totally down with because you love Percy Jackson <laughs> and, like, Rick Riordan. Um, In general. Yeah. And then, uh, who else was it? Oh, and then Bright, the Bright Sessions updated, which I know that you couldn't quite stay awake for, um, but this week's episode was really, really, really intense, uh, and it had, like, a lot of, yeah. lots of feelings, and it was good. Um, but yeah, so that's what I was sort of living on this week was Supergirl and also just some of my other podcasts. Nice. Anyways, cool. Now that that fun stuff is out of the way, Claire, tell us about this wonderful book that you suggested. Alrighty, so to reiterate, the book we read for this week was called An Ember in the Ashes by Sabah Tahir, and I'm going to give you a short summary of the book. Where So basically, in this world, which is sort of set up like ancient Rome, people tend to have a little bit of Roman names. This land used to be ruled by this group of people called the scholars and they were into science and knowledge and learning and somehow this group of barbarians nearby called the marshals got all their tribes together reunited under this one guy and came and took over and they just happened to have a superior steel and so this is like 500 years after their takeover and we see the two main characters Laia is a scholar girl and in the first chapter, her family is killed in front of her and her brother's taken prisoner. And so she goes and joins the resistance and becomes a slave and called the Commandant of Blackcliff. Now, our other main character, Elias, is a student at Blackcliff. He's about to graduate. He's actually the Commandant's son, but he's a bastard. She didn't want him. And he was abandoned in the desert when he was a baby. So (laughs) he's kind of struggling with, he's graduating from this place, but he's really over all of this killing he's had to do. Because the school is training you to be the elite fighters in the land. Force the law. Basically, your job is to torture and kill people. So he's struggling with that. Laia is trying to free her brother. And this is sort of a story of how their lives 
play out, but also how they interact. And you meet some other characters along the way, and I think it's an amazing adventure. Awesome, yeah, that was a fantastic summary. Um, so yeah, so if you haven't read An Ember in the Ashes yet, now is the time to stop listening, because we're about to get into full, no-holds-barred, spoiler, spoilerful discussion. Um, so yeah, so take now, stop the podcast, go and read this great book, and then come back to us, and we will tell you all, all of our wonderful thoughts and feelings on it. So, have you left? Okay. I think, I think they're gone. Okay, Claire. I, so. I hope they're yeah, it should it's be gone not now. Done. It. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, we have like some discussion questions, but this is going to be like pretty loosey goosey in terms of things. Um, yeah. But let's start us off with who? Who is your favorite character? Oh my gosh! Seriously, I don't know everybody. I <laughs> I can't tell you. I really I love Laya. I love Elias. I love Helena. I love like Izzy. Like, and cook like, is, like what is up with her what's her where did she come from who is she but she seems to know all sorts of things but yeah I, pretty much everybody that's fair I I, we're well yeah. developed so yeah no I was no, agree like a lot of sorry what was that there's no one I was disappointed in no you know that, yeah. and there's a character where you're like you could have done so much more but I think everybody was done well yeah in this book I completely agree. I have a bit of a soft spot for Helene, I think, just because, like, uh, so many feelings, that poor girl. <laughs> she's a complete badass, but she feels like she's been brainwashed to think that all she has to do is, like, follow fate. And I'm just like, Helene, no, you can do what you want, but you also can't because you find yourself trapped in this, like, realm of circumstance. <laughs> so I had a lot of strong feelings about Helene. Uh, she gave me a lot of feelings. Um, but yeah, no, I love Leia. Uh, Elias was great. I love his, like, preoccupation with his height. Uh, there was, like, a thing that I highlighted where it was, like, when he was, like, seeing Leia at, like, the dance. Um, and he's, like, seeing Leia with the redheaded dude. Oh, God, I can't remember his name. His name is Keenan. Keenan. When she's, uh, Leia with Keenan. Um, he was just, like, he's not bad looking, I suppose, but he seems too grim to be any fun. Also, he's shorter than me, considerably shorter, half a foot at least. And I'm just like, oh, bro, oh, you're so, you're so preoccupied with your height. Oh, you poor baby. <laughs> so, yeah, I had a lot of really strong feelings about that. I was just like, oh, my God, dude, come on. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, I thought, yeah, like all the characters were super well It was also like just this book in general. Like I'd, it had been recommended to me many, many times. And I was just like, oh, like maybe it sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like all these other ways that I've been reading where there's a boy and a girl and da-da-da-da-da stuff happens. Which like, yes, but it's so much more intense than I was expecting it to be. Like... Yeah. This isn't really a YA novel, I would say. Like, the subject matter gets way darker than stuff yeah. that you really want, like, teens to be reading necessarily. <laughs> well, I think that's one thing that I love about reading this book. And for the audience, I'm the one of the two of us who has read the sequel. And I went back and reread the the first one here for this week. And let me tell you, coming back and rereading it, there is so much foreshadowing throughout this book. And 
I judge a book a lot on whether or not you can reread it. I love rereading books. And this one, you go back and you read it, and it's like, oh, wait, she told us this back in, like, chapter two. <laughs> and that's what half my marks in the book are. It's like, okay, well, they prophesied that, or she mentioned it, and now, like, at the end of the book, it's actually, you see what how that fit together. Yeah, no, I, I have a lot of theories about what I think the future books have in store. Um, but we can wait, we can get into those a little bit later. Um, so I guess the next thing would be, I kind of mentioned a little bit of like favorite one-liners, but do you have any favorite like quotes or like things from the book that make you like feel things or like laugh out loud? Oh, and one, one quote that I really like from the book, I think it's the, the character Zach says at one point, all that tribal rubbish about gin and efforts, goals, and wraiths, it's not rubbish, Viturius. It's not myth. The old characters are real. And I meant to look this up again, but there's another book and another story that says all of the old stories are real. So everything you hear is true. There's some sort of truth in every story. And I think that's true in general, that there's some level of truth in everything we hear. Oh, completely agree. Yeah, no, Zach's character was also just like, oh, dude, why are you so terrible? But like, it's not always you. But yeah, no, yeah, that's a really good quote. Um, okay, yeah, so my favorite quote is like super upsetting, but it's a, it's a Firefly reference. And it's uh, lost as a leaf on the wind. And it's when like Elias thinks he's about to go and get killed. And I was just like, oh, how dare you reference one of the most painful Joss Whedon deaths? I feel like an awful nerd for missing that. Yeah, no, it was just like, I read it and I was like, I missed it the first time, like the first time that it came up. Cause like when all of the like hardcore monk dudes are like talking and saying like, these are the outcomes of the trials if you fail. Um, they say, like, if you will either become Emperor in Bloodstrike, or you will be as lost as a leaf on the wind. And then, like, later on, they explain, like, yeah, it means that you're going to die. And I didn't put it together then. But then, later on, like, when Elias thinks that he's about to get executed for failing a task, he's just like, I'm lost as a leaf on the wind. And I was like, oh, that's where it all clicked. And I had a lot of feelings. And I was like, how dare you? <laughs> So yeah, so that was that was me being just like, no, no, you can't. <laughs> um, but I also enjoyed prophecies. I'm always a big fan of prophecies in books. So I really liked the the prophecy of like just yeah, you just highlighted all of the prophecy. <laughs> yeah, for those of you listening. Know that we're recording this via video, so like Claire and I can see each other's reactions, but we cannot, but you you will not be able to. You will just be able to hear them. <laughs> yeah, I think some of the most interesting prophecies in here are what the augurs say, right? And you get this thing all the way through where um, Elias is told, you know, you can desert now, but you're not going to be content. Or you can go through these trials, and afterwards you're going to find freedom. And so it's understanding that on top of them, eventually we find out they told Helena that she's not going to win, but she's going to get second. And as long as she swears fealty to whoever wins, Elias will be alive. Like, he, won't, he won't be killed. Yeah. And then we find out 
that Marcus keeps saying that the augurs told him that Helena is going to be his. So it's this layered question of, okay, so if we put these together, Marcus has to end up as the emperor. Helena has to end up as the blood strike. And Elias has to, well, not die because Helena said he's not going to die, but he's lost as a leaf on the wind, as Rachel pointed out. So what does that mean? What does that mean for him? He gets to run away and successfully run away? Or how is that going to play out in the next few books? Yeah, no, it'll be it'll be super interesting to see exactly sort of what happens to Elias and figure out like, okay, like, what do they mean and that kind of stuff? Because they say that he'll have like experienced true freedom of both body and soul. Um, and so the understanding is that he experienced true freedom of the soul when he like refused to kill Leia in the fourth task. And that was sort of yeah. him being like, okay, cool. I can like realize that I made the good decision of not killing someone that I care about like when it mattered. Um, and then he's freed in body when like so Leia Cook and me. Izzy decide to just blow everything up. <laughs> Yeah. The the thing for me, though, is when he walks in the first task, when or trial, first trial, whatever it is, task is Harry Potter. Anyway, <laughs> the first task. But <laughs> there's going to be a lot of Harry Potter references in this podcast, too, just for everyone listening. So he's walking through this whole battlefield of people he has killed, and he finds Laia. We get to the end here, and he doesn't kill her. So at least in book one, he hasn't killed her yet already. Like what's going on here? Because we see some of the people he sees, we actually see him kill. And so it's kind of going, okay, where, what's his journey for this? And what, what does that mean? Like if does everything that the augurs show him or can they be wrong? Yeah, I think, I think it'll be really interesting. Cause that's kind of like one of the things that I'm really intrigued by. And in, like most books is, the idea of like, is your destiny fixed or do you actually have some say in it? Can you, in essence, change your fate as one of my favorite Pixar movies would like you to believe that you can change your fate and take charge of your fate. Um, and so I'm, I'm a big fan of being able to like take charge of your fate and be able to change it. But it's always interesting seeing like where self-fulfilling prophecy comes in and stuff like that. Um, one of my biggest critiques of the like other, the... The other thing, so the augurs, so... The augurs also just fascinate me in general. And where did they come from? Who are they? So we know that they're at least 500 years old. Pretty sure they're over a thousand. I think Cain references, he's been around for so long. And when Cook tells the story of the Nightbringer, she talks about this coven of scholars that learned how to trap the djinn with salt and steel and summer rain. And um, it says that uh, the Fae had given their knowledge freely and in trust, and the coven used that knowledge to create a weapon that could conquer the djinn forever. They called it the star. It said, but the star gave the humans unnatural power, and so the lesser creatures fled. So is this the augurs? Are these the people who became the augurs? But the other thing along that is that means that the augurs are scholars that the marshals worship. Yeah, yeah, no, so that's totally part of the theories that I was talking about earlier. I'm pretty 
pretty positive that like the big end game for this series is like going to be freeing the djinn from the prison that the augurs put them in because they talk about like writing wrongs like long like long performed like the augurs are obvious like i don't know i think the augurs are definitely those same people who trapped the djinn and now they're like ah crap we completely screwed ourselves over here we can never die and this is terrible please let us fix these mistakes that we made fix our hubris and release the djinn from this prison so we can finally die uh but yeah no i think like yeah the augurs uh i think are definitely those same scholars and then they were like uh crap and then the nightbringer just like came and like convinced them <laughs> there's all this convoluted stuff but no like that's totally my theory is it's like okay jinn are definitely the end game and augurs were definitely the ones who trapped them in the first place right but also on the augurs can we talk about kane and how like i don't know do you watch riverdale no okay so like it's this wonderfully cheesy and like over the top dramatic archie reboot is what it is so like that's the premise so you have like cole sprouse plays jughead like cole sprouse is in sweet life of zach and cody cole sprouse i i did know he's in it yeah so he so his jughead is this basically like noir angsty narrator who's like writing a novel chronicling this murder that happened but he just like narrates all of the episodes with like the utmost angst and just like like self-loathing a little bit but like that kind of stuff and i'm just like of this book kane kane is the jughead kane is the jughead angsty noir narrator of this book That's that's my that's my other fun TV reference that I was like that when I was reading it all I could think like every time that Kane spoke and like had his like angsty prophecies I was just like hey look it's Jughead <laughs> <laughs> yeah another another thing that I was connecting this book to real life because I tend to think about that especially after my liberal arts college education was <laughs> that. Helena repeatedly talks with Elias and says, well, she's a slave. Slaves die all the time. Or we conquered these people. We're in charge. Why would we set them free? Why do you want to help them? It's kind of like she is very much with the status quo. Like how life is to her is fine. But you have Laia and her people. And does that... I can see how in in the world today we have that too. We have plenty of people, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this too, looking and saying, okay, life is fine for me. Why would I need to change this? Yeah, I think that that idea of like checking your privilege and just like that understanding that just because things are okay for you doesn't mean they're okay for everyone else. Like that is hugely relevant today because like I know like, we both were super upset by like no- what happened in November and a lot of like the stuff that I was reading from like persons of color and that kind of stuff is just like, they weren't surprised by any of the shit that happened. Like they were like, yeah, no, like, of course this happened. Like, of course this is super, everything is still super racist and super terrible. Like that has never gone away. And for a lot of people, like, the election and Donald Trump and all of his supporters like that was that was a wake-up call that like some people needed but most people didn't most people were completely like self-aware of being like hey no like this stuff was terrible 
and now everyone else just happens to realize it. Um, so yeah, no, I think that, that that analysis too for like Helene, like that was I think why I had a lot of feelings about Helene because I'm just like, Helene, like how, like how are you so blind? And I think that was Eli or Elias's frustration with her is like it seemed like she was super blind and she was so indoctrinated being like, no, like this is this is how it works. This is how it's always worked. Like this is what it needs to do to work. And like, I don't want to give up my power. Like we're in a, this position of extreme privilege. Like, of course, part like of I want to maintain it. Is, I think part of her success though at Blackcliff for her to be able to succeed there as the only woman. So there's only one woman every generation okay that's not that there's one in every year that's her and above her is the commandant like there's no other women at this school and so for her to succeed she has to toe the line and be willing to say no i'm as good as any of these men and in that i think in order for her to feel like she's succeeding she has to block out everything that says other people like I'm not as privileged as these people or I'm more privileged or whatever. So for her to wrap her mind around what's going on and for her to succeed, she has to block out what's going on around her. Yeah, I think that, yeah, exactly that. Uh, she, it's kind of like one of those weird things where it's like that idea of intersectional identities, right? Like here, she's a member of the privileged class, but she's still underprivileged within it. And so it's like, it's how do you how do you recognize that and understand that okay like yeah like I'm disadvantaged in these ways but I'm not in other ways and like how do you like and she like for her like that was almost like it was almost a, like it was basically part of her survival was that she had to ha keep those blinders up like if she wanted to succeed at Blackcliff all she, like she could only focus on the fact that like she's in this position of privilege but she's also like but just like but just her one disadvantage the fact that she was a woman mm -hmm. so she had to work extremely hard to overcome that so there wasn't any space in her head to like recognize that like those intersections of identities it's like yeah like yes you're struggling in these ways but think about how other people are struggling because if she had done that she never would have been able to go back and like succeed like she would have been like elias and like wanting to defect but like that wouldn't have that wasn't what she personally needed but it's like at the same time like you you kind of hate her at times because you're just like Helene like stop take your blinders off see how messed up this is but she couldn't because like that wasn't her arc like her arc was eventually like I think the blinders are taken down towards the end like when she goes and helps Leia even though I think she only helped Leia like heal her because like she knew Elias would hate her forever <laughs> and she was like no Elias I need you but yeah yeah, I think it it's it'll be interesting to see how her perception influences her role as Bloodstrike, as second in command of this empire. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if she continues to kind of like like swallow the company line or whatever and like accept it, or if she'll start questioning herself like Elias has been questioning himself for a very long time. So it's like fingers crossed. Yeah, especially if your emperor is Marcus. Yeah. If your emperor is Marcus. What do you do? Yeah, Marcus is terrible. He's just, he's just the worst. Especially now, too, like, because his, like, his last thread got snapped. His last side of humanity got snapped because he had to kill his brother. So you're like, oh, no. <laughs> now, like, what checks does he have on him? Crap. <laughs> I don't know. After you kill your own brother, your own twin brother. Yeah. How do you live with yourself? Yeah, like, it's, it's a lot.
is a lot to swallow. Like oh, how mad he was that Elias did not have to kill Helena. It's like, wait, I had to kill my twin and you didn't even have to kill your best friend. Yeah. No. I'm the only one living with it. Yeah. No, so no, I think, yeah. That's gonna make him real bitter. Like real bitter. <laughs> The other, the other thing I think is going to be interesting is, so we know that the Nightbringer is talking with the Commandant and presumably talking with Marcus and sort of influencing their actions. So how is that going to influence the Empire as we're going forward? Yeah, because you, like, if, if our theory is correct and the end game here is, like, freeing the djinn from the prison and like the like the nightbringer is like the one gin that they weren't able to imprison you would assume that like the nightbringer would like quickly align himself with like uh elias and leia because like they seem to be the ones that are being set up to go and do that freeing and that's kind of his end goal or is the nightbringer so far gone in like his revenge spiral that he's just like i don't care anymore i don't care about freeing my people i just want to see everything around me burn yeah. So, because the, th- the thing is, he he clearly, the night, the character, the Nightbringer, hates the Augers, right? Yeah. Which... If they're, if they're to imprison all of his people, he's going to hate them. But if their current goal is to free the Jinn, if we're going with this theory, against them, is he working with them? Where... Like, where does this this character who we really don't necessarily interact with where is where is his influence i think that is going yeah. to be really interesting to look at going forward oh yeah no for sure i think like probably what this is is it's just like a lack of communication like the nightbringer just ha- like the augurs just haven't told the nightbringer like sorry about imprisoning your people 500 years ago we realized that was a totally dick move but we want to try and fix that. Like, I don't think they've had that conversation with the Nightbringer, if that is their end goal. And maybe <laughs> having that conversation would fix everything. <laughs> do they have, do do they know that he's the one influencing the Commandant and Marcus? Do they know that he's behind them not being able to read their minds? I feel like they must have a guess. Like, they might not know, no, but they're probably assuming. Because they, like kind of they have their hands in all the honey pots they should know you think yeah one would one would think yeah okay um i like quit switching gears a little bit here um one of the other questions we had was like the ship of the book so for this this could be friend shipping it could be romance shipping it could just be like completely like why not shipping it can be whatever you want um, i'm curious as to who you kind of like ship in this book and who, who, what relationships really like made you love it in that kind of sense? Or are you hoping to see, what relationships are you hoping to see develop further? Anything like that? So first, I'm pretty sure you remember that I am basically a hopeless romantic. So yes, I want Elias and Laya to get together and have romantic relationships. Like, that's like the star-crossed lovers sort of thing, and I, I'm into that. But um, friendship-wise, I think that Helena and Laya could be really good friends. 
Like, I think that um, you keep calling her Helene. I don't know. We just keep pronouncing things the way we read yeah. them because you and I do that. <laughs> <laughs> but Helene and Leia. <laughs> yeah, I think that they could be really good friends if they dropped some of their like pre-existing no like prejudices about each other. I think that you could have them team up and you would have like quite the you know, it'd be like having Supergirl and Sarah Lance and everybody else get together who should actually be saving the world. Oh my god, so many of my feelings. <laughs> we know how much we both desperately want just like all of the women of the DC Universe shows to just drop the useless men and go off and save people on their own death. Although, I mean, to be fair, Ray Palmer can come along because like he's hilarious and like adorable. But everyone else can just, like, stay behind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, I can totally see, yeah, like, I, if I was rooting a little bit for, like, uh, Elias and Leia, I also found myself rooting for, like, Elias and Helene, because, like, for me, that was one of those things of, like, the, the friends. Yeah. But we know that I'm going to be the queer shipper in all of these things, and, like, even though... These two characters were never on the page. They never shared a scene together that we saw. I completely ship Darren and Spiro. <laughs> like, there is, Spiro has more fear, feelings for De Darren, who is like, uh, um, is, uh, oh gosh, is Leah's brother who like got, gets imprisoned. Like, you could tell from the way that Spiro talked about him that there was something more there. Like, how, so this is my question for you. I don't know if it ever said, but how old do you think Spiro is? I think he's in his like late 20s, early 30s. Because I don't know, my reading of him puts him in his 50s. Yeah. And so I've seen more of a father figure. Yeah, that would be but... weird. I would agree that that would be weird. But I'm pretty sure that. He, like, I think the book describes him as being younger. Let me, let me quickly search it because I have, yeah. I have a lot of feelings about Spyro or Spiro or whatever his name is and Darren. And I'm just like, dude, like you are so much more than friends. Well, let's see. So I age can't... appropriate? Yes. Yeah. Not age appropriate father son figure thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, here we go. Okay. So... Nope, wrong way. Wrong, wrong direction. A martial man comes through the narrow, narrow back door, looking more like a river pirate than a blacksmith. Drips with piercings. He can't be more than 15 years older than me, so he's in his mid-30s. Okay. So yeah, cool. so he's only about 50, like 10, 15 years older than Leah, and like, we don't know, how much older is Darren compared to Leah? That would be very early on, wouldn't it be? But, I mean, yeah. she says my big brother. Yeah. Uh, I, she says at one point, I think, I don't remember exactly where, they give the birth order of her oldest sister, and then how long it was until Darren and then her. I'm yeah. Honest, about three years apart in age. Okay. So, like, there would still be an age gap between Darren and Spiro, but not so much of an age gap that it would be, like, too weird. Like, it'd be one of those things where, like, if they were both five years younger, then it would be wrong, but because they're not, it's okay. Is Darren um, with one R or two? What? Is Darren with one R or two? One. 
webinar. There we go. It's an interesting trying to figure out how old these people are because yeah. recruits you when you're six and then you're like you're you have five years before and at one level and then another like four and then another three you're in your 20s when you're done yeah so we know like I think in terms of ages we know that Leah's 17 we know that for sure yeah and then, but then that means that Elias or Elias has to be around in his like early 20s. Yeah. And then that would, I think Darren is probably around Elias's age. So he's probably early 20s as well. And then Spiro then would have to be in his like early 30s. Yeah. Yes. So that's like a 10 year age difference. But like I have friends that are married and they have that much of an age difference. So the ship is, the ship stands as an unproblematic the ship. ship. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I just like I read it maybe it's just because like I like reading that kind of like subtext into everything but I definitely read that as like the way that like Spirit was like how invested he was like yes maybe they are just good friends maybe it is just a mentor thing but like Could be think, I Could think be. there was a little bit more there I, I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that there was a little bit more there than just like mentor concern especially with like how he took care of like leah when she came into his shop and stuff like that but yeah so i think the the other the other two people who need to meet and i think it'd be interesting to see them meet is um helena and then afia the um the tribal woman who Elias dances with and she gives him a coin a favorite yes! coin i think the two of them that tribal woman was the fucking best <laughs> <laughs> she was amazing i loved her i also loved her i just want her to be in all of the previous next books because she also meets spiro like she's the one leaving spiro's thing when like i think elena go or when leia goes to her like the last time mm. so i'm just like spiro and the tribal woman <laughs> yeah well i'll give one spoiler for the next book and yes we do get to see a lot more of obvious so Excellent. This makes me so happy. So, so happy. Yeah, no, that makes me super stoked. Um, I'm totally here for more Afia because she is fucking, like, the best. <laughs> She's great. Um, so I guess, yeah, so I guess that's looming questions the book left us with is sort of the next thing. Because we already sort of talked about how the book applies and reflects society today. And I think it's very relevant. I'm glad that you picked it for that kind of stuff. That was a really good question suggestion. Um, but yeah, so I guess I probably have more looming questions than you do because you've read the sequel. I have read the um, sequel. Yeah, so like we've kind of addressed some of them. One would be like the gin, like obviously they're going to be major players in the future parts of this book. They're only vaguely hinted at in this one being like, oh, they're gone. Like the Efrits that show up are just like, the gin are gone. <laughs> and you're like, well, obviously there's something happening or else you wouldn't mention them. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, like how, how the night, like what the Nightbringers end goals are. Like, what do you, what do you do when Nightbringer? Like why you, why you be why are you working with such horrible people if you just want to free yours <laughs> and then kind of what the augers end goals are like are they trying like are the augers the people who imprisoned the djinn and are they now trying to remedy that imprisonment right and then too like 
Is there any hope for Elias and Helene? Helena? Is there any hope for Elias and Leah? What's what's gonna be the end relationship? Or are they are none of them going to end up with any of those people? Which is like an actual realistic scenario, but not realistic in a YA novel. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, some of my questions are like, what is Marcus going to be like as an emperor? Yeah. Um, who, who's going to be able to influence him? Who is he going to let himself be influenced by? Um, is he able to rule in a just manner or is he just going to go about killing everybody? because that seems to be what he's wired to do. So uh, my other, like, I don't know if this is just a question the book left me with, but what do these masks look like? How much of your face do they cover? Because it says it molds with your face. But when they do the first trial, Elias takes over a boat. And he says, yeah, we must have looked pretty weird, this masked woman who looks like she's bleeding, like she's been tortured, and me with a three-day-old beard. You're like, okay, so do you grow a beard through the metal? Or how do you shave with, like, <laughs> I, I just assumed before I, like, recognized while reading that part that that was a thing, that the metal just kept you from growing facial hair. So... <laughs> Or does it, like, cut off after your nose? Like, and how do you, like, kiss yeah, someone my, if you're wearing a... Yeah, my guess, it, or my interpretation was I never assumed that it was, like, a full face mask. I was always thinking, like, it was, like, nose. Okay. Like, nose was the cutoff. Like, I don't, I didn't, I never pictured it going further than that. Because I feel like that was sort of what they described it. It was almost like a half face okay. mask is what I always thought of. And so it would, like, mold to, like, your eyebrows and, like, your cheek, your bone structure, but not actually go past, because that would that would make, like, a lot of things difficult, like facial hair, considering all of the masks, except, like, a few are women, or men. So it's, like, that would just be, like, a huge hassle. <laughs> Although... It definitely, so it grabs... Right? So, because Elias talks about it grabs into his neck, because when you pull it off, his neck bleeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it so could go, like, like, around the ear. Down? It could go, like, uh, like, it could be, like, I don't even know. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. The mechanics of the masks are very intriguing. For, like, how, how far do they go down? I'm pretty sure, like, in terms of, in, at least in the front, it's definitely only to, like, nose. Like, it can't go past if, like, beards need to happen. Right, right. But, yeah, no, it's interesting. Like, are their ears covered up then? Because that would make sense, like, or, like... Does it, like, kind of go, like, up over the ears and then down? My thoughts, so I'm going to guess that it also has a secondary use as armor, right? It's not just for show. So covering your ears actually makes sense because you can have your ear cut off if you're fighting someone. And you may want those protected. That's very true. Yeah, no, that would make sense then if their ears were covered. But they'd have to be covered in a way that, like, wouldn't impede their hearing because they're supposed to be, like... The thing, the thing about these masks is they mold with you, and um, Helena gets that shirt, right, that molds with her, and she can move normally and everything. That's true. So I the magic this makes things easier. Metal. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, the magic definitely probably makes it so that they can hear through the mask, no problem. Yeah, yeah. 
So. Or it just like covers the outside of your ears and there's a hole. <laughs> yeah, just like a little, little hole. You know, stick your toothbrush in it, all the Fred Weasley in the seventh movie. <laughs> <laughs> Morning. Imagine, just like, imagine those like horribly tra- traumatized young men with holes in their ears trying to regain some sense of normalcy and just sticking random things into their mask hole ears to try and cope with the terrible reality that they're facing. You've, you've got to admit that 14-year-old boys would do that. I mean, like, yeah. Like, I mean, they were, they're brought in at six, so, like, six-year-old boys would do that. But they don't, they don't get their mask until they come back, right? They don't come back. They don't get their mask until they come back from their fifth year. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. No. Pretty sure because half of them die during their fifth year. And you don't really want to make nice masks for people if they're just going to get killed. Yeah. That's just like a waste of metal. And if we learned anything about these marshals, they're, they're all about not wasting shit. <laughs> they're very adamant okay about getting the most out of everything, which is terrible. They're terrible people. <laughs> As I was saying, human life, they don't seem to ma- mind wasting that. They really, they really don't. Okay, um, so sort of like the last thing for this book, uh, unless there's any other like burning points you want to hit that we haven't touched on yet. No, but I thought up a new question, too. So. Okay, go for it. Fire away. Okay, my new question is, would you want to see this book as a movie? I mean, like, it would have to be rated R. Like, there is, there is yeah. so much violence that, like, I don't, I don't see how they could get away with, like, a PG-13 rating. Like, there is a battle scene where they're, like, killing friends. So... And just like the other torture scenes, I feel like means that it it would it would be a very hard PG thirteen rating, if not like an R rating for like the violence. But I don't know, like I think it could be interesting to see it as a movie. I don't think it. I don't know. Like maybe what do you do? You want to see it as a movie? So. My my problem with it as a movie would be I always feel like any any book that has layers loses half of those layers as a movie. So think of Harry Potter. There were so many little nuances throughout the books that were just skipped over in the movie still had to apply. Right? And I think that that could easily get lost with this with this book as a movie. Yeah, I think but, yeah, it would be it would need like a very faithful adaptation to not just become like 300 or something like that. Like it would need, like it could, yeah. like, like it always, like any movie could be done well. Like a lot of movies can, but not many are in terms of adaptations from books. Like there's only a few that have right. been really decent. And so I'd be, I'd be wary of seeing whether this one would be as decent just because they're, like you said, like there are all these really little threads that are important for understanding things that happen later. Like if they cut out any of the talk of the gin in this movie, like, they, like, cause you would think like, cause they're not important in this book. So you'd think that, okay, this is fair game. We can cut this. It'll be fine. And then they'd be so terribly wrong because odds are high that those are going to be very important later on. Yeah. Or if they cut out like secondary characters, like I, this doesn't seem like it's a book that puts a character in for no reason. Like we're going to see these characters again later on. Like it's not 
laying the groundwork for no reason whatsoever. So it's like mm -hmm. you, it would be hard finding things to cut without ruining a plot line later on. Right. Right. But then people also don't want to see like a six hour movie from a book like this long. Like, so like maybe regular people don't, but we both know you and I would sit through that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, hey, the, hands down. We would we would sit the best there. Movie adaptation, the best movie adaptation of Pride and Prejudice is the one that's like five hours long, right? So because that's just how this works. I haven't read Pride and Prejudice yet. Maybe that will happen later on down the line. Um, but yeah, no, like or or like the the adaptation of Pride and Prejudice that I have seen that is amazing is the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, and that's probably close to at least five hours of content. No, it's definitely, it's way more than five hours of content. Like, there's a yeah. hundred episodes. Okay. They're all around five I minutes long. Did you watch all of, all of Lizzie Bennet Diaries? I have not. Oh my god. Claire, I know what you're doing next. <laughs> you need to sit down and watch <laughs> no, through all after. of Lizzie Bennet Diaries. How did I not tell you about this? I, I think guess this would have been when you were in Germany. Uh, that could be. Because I'm pretty sure you've mentioned it, but I don't think I ever had any yeah. way to watch it, it or until reason, like thinking, oh, I should watch this. Yeah, because it definitely started when you were in Germany and then it finished during your first year of uni. Because um, that was okay. that was what happened. And it's it's amazing. You should watch it. <laughs> it's so good. It's on YouTube. Truly, like it's it won an Emmy, Claire. That's how good it was. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> you need to watch the Lizzie Bennet. Everyone listening, you need to watch the Lizzie Bennet Diaries if you want to understand like how web series can be done and be done really, really well. All I'm gonna say. But yeah. Okay. Right. Now that we went on Do that fun tangent. Ember related questions. Yeah. I think the the last thing that we wanted to do was sum up our overall feelings of the book in three words because that's the fun hip thing to do. And we know that you and I. Ooh thrive on being young and hip. Oh, this is true. <laughs> true. We're like the epitome of young and hip, or as I said in high school chemistry, the epitome of young and hip. <laughs> were you in as that you class? Said, no, you were in a different period, weren't you? I was in a different period, but I heard the story, and you know, they people say, you know, somebody's reading at a higher level than their age when they pronounce things the way you'd read it in a book and not the way you'd pronounce it. Yeah, that was, that was me. Now I'm reading at yep. a younger age, but who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's you fine. Know. Although there's a couple words it's that I had great. to, like, look up in this book. So this book is, like, pretty high level, I'd say. It's definitely the higher end of YA, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But anyways, three yeah, words. So three words. I think what mine would be. Mine would be, huh, like, it. it's going to be epic in scope. So epic, class issues, or class. Mm -hmm. and truth that whole idea that all the stories are true like it's going to deal with like the more the more like base meaning of what is true beyond like that what you can see it's going to tackle like yeah. the issues of like truth and like what is actually true like what is true in your bones versus what is true outside of you that kind of stuff yeah and i think one word for me with this book is relationships um how do you relate to other people in general yeah. And ships, interactions, and um, prophecies. 
Yeah, no, that you, sounds great. Uh, yeah, like how does how do your how does your fate work? Yeah. What is fate? Yeah. Do you have any control over it, or does it control you? Or do you think you're subverting your fate, and it ends up lining up with exactly what they told you it was going to be? Yeah. Uh, that was that was yeah no I have a lot of feelings about like whether like when books can do that whole like self-fulfilling prophecy well and I think a few books have done it well and I'm hoping that this will be one of them but some of them have done it terribly and I'm like you're just being dumb now <laughs> All right. but, yeah no um excellent first choice of book Claire I very much enjoyed it this this book definitely helped get me out of my like not reading rut which I mean it coincided with my end of term would meaning that all of my literature review was coming to an end. So that also helped. Um, but it was really good timing. So yeah. I'm very pleased that uh, this was the first book we read. Okay. So our next book is A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. And it is by Becky Chambers. So I read this book, the first, that book, like last fall? Yeah, around last fall is when I read it. And it's super enjoyable. Um, I'm reading the sequel right now, where it's more of a companion novel than a sequel. But okay. it's this really, in, it, it's reminiscent of Firefly, which means that we'll both love it. I mean, I've already right. read it. But there's this really cool story where um, it's set on this like small spacecraft that like builds wormholes. So it's basically like a road crew. But it takes a really long time. So it's like this crew goes on this really long journey. So it's it's all about sort of like the small dramas and interpersonal relationships that develop when you're in a confined space for a really long period of time. Um, but it's really good because it's this like big, there's this huge sweeping space journey, but that's not the point. The point of this book is like the small dramas, the small things, the little things that happen on spaceships um, and sort of that idea of found family and um okay. that kind of stuff but it does it, it does like different alien species super well like it develops lots of different cultures it's super enjoyable and it's just hilariously fun read so that is my selection for the next one so you'll read we'll both i can go back and reread a long way to a small angry planet and then i'll also read a closed in common orbit which is the sequel slash companion novel it's not really a direct sequel but um and you can feel my pain of knowing what's happening next and having to not give it away. Exactly. So we gotta, we gotta have like an equal dose of that one. And then maybe on the next one, it'll be a book that neither of us have read yet. Or it could be one that you've already read before. We have a lot of flexibility here. Um, but I figured I would kind of go tit for tat. I'll figure it out. And recommend a book that I've read and really enjoyed. Uh, it was recommended to me by a friend. Um, so yeah. Uh, that's that's this episode of Chapter One Podcast. Thank you for going on this fun, crazy journey with me, Claire. I'm really excited to see where we go in the next little while. Well, it looks like we're going to space. Yeah, right now we're going to space. And it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, it's a lot less violent than the last book we read. So it'll be a nice change of pace if... If our listeners, you're not a big fan of violence in your books, this next book will be one for you. I, like, personally, I'm fine with it. And Claire is obviously fine with it, too. So, but yeah. Right. So, anyways. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been Chapter One Podcasts. Uh, we still need to figure out an outro, but for now, keep reading and stay awesome. <laughs>